Hey, good morning, everybody. So uh, if this is your first time here with us, welcome. My name is Des. I'm the lead pastor here. We're in week three of a series, as Mo mentioned, in the book of John. The book of John is actually, for those who don't, just don't assume it, it's not a separate book. It's a book in the Bible. Um, and in the Bible, we have the New Testament and we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John picks out just seven miracles of Jesus, even though he performed 34 in all the Gospels and probably many more we know that he performed that aren't recorded. He picks out just seven. And these seven miracles are seven signs of who Jesus really is, like Jesus really is God in these miracles point to that. But before we dive into today's message, I want to tell you all what you are all doing tomorrow night at seven o'clock. You are all going to be in this room tomorrow night at seven o'clock. We have a prayer gathering called We Pray. Now, normally we meet first Monday of the month, but because that's Labor Day, we're meeting tomorrow night. And so tomorrow night, we are gathering for We Pray. We had a bit of a break in the summer. We are back. If you've never been to our prayer gatherings, can I just dispel some fears you might have? Will you be required to be praying? Will it be a small number? No, hundreds of people will be in this room. We have open time of prayer to be prayed for, prayed over by our elders. You can write prayers out. We have different stations. We have some designated just for children. You can bring your kids. The environment is very conducive to everyone. And it, this place is a house of prayer. If you've never been, I am compelling you to be part of what we get to be part of tomorrow night. If you've been before, you know it. You've got to be here. So maybe on your calendar right now, there's another appointment going on. That will be a wrong appointment. That one needs moving to make space to be here tomorrow. We start at seven. And I just, we start at seven. That isn't park your car at seven. Drive on at seven. We start at seven. And how we start is important tomorrow night. So get here 6.50 tomorrow night um, for what's going to be very, very significant. Very significant. Enough of that. Here we go. Today's miracle that Jesus does, number three of seven, uh, is, again, they're all unique in a big way. But today's miracle raises a question that Jesus even asks. I've emphasized it a little bit more. And here's the question. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Do you really want your life to change? Like, really? Do you really want your marriage to change? Do you really want fill in the blank to change? Really? And a lot of us say, oh yeah, I want to change. And what we mean by that is, I've been praying and what I want is, Jesus, you just change everything and I'm all good. That's not how it goes. Now, can God step in and dramatically change things? Yes. But it's not just that moment. And the reality is, and this, this has been proven through generations, and especially in recent generations, the majority of you in the room right now do not want to change. That isn't me making an accusation. That has been proven. Most of you are change averse. 
Most of you like to live in a, a realm of, I understand what's going on and, and it's predictable, but I feel secure in that. And anything that makes me feel a little insecure, I want to avoid. Any form of growth requires change. And yet we, we're not comfortable often with change. There are some outliers in the room who are all, bring it on, I want change. But every single one of us at some point, when it comes to change, go, there's still a moment. Even though we may be looking forward to it, there's still a moment of uncertainty. All you guys have come back to school for this semester or for this year. Maybe it's your junior year, your senior year. You're like, ah, there's an element of of what's going to be required of me. There's going to be change in there. But the reality is most of you do not want to change. When I ask that question, do you really want to change? You want other people to change. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, God, I believed and I prayed and and you, you, you gave me this husband and some of you ladies, this is not like a personal attack. I just know it's true. Some of you are like, oh, and the Lord provided a husband. But, but God, I think you got it wrong because he's an idiot. <laughs> it's not what we agreed to. So, so Jesus, you have to change him. I don't need to change. He needs to conform to me. And he needs to change. I've got a friend, fill in the blank. I just gave that example, okay? We can flip that. Some of you guys are like, change my wife and everything about my wife and life will be so much nicer. But at the core heart of this, when we step into this miracle today, it's deeply soul-filled. This is as much about the condition of your soul as someone's physical condition. I'll say it again. Jesus is a miracle worker. Yes, he is. These series, we're looking at the miracle powers of Jesus, but the purpose of this series is not, don't seek miracles, seek Jesus. You need to keep doing that. Don't seek miracles, seek Jesus. And your very soul, that's what matters most. So, are you ready? John chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 1 through 10 in one go. If you brought a Bible, open to John chapter 5, have it ready. If you've got note-taking ability or get our app, open the app into there and you can see we've got some notes, a space for you to take notes so you can keep them. Uh, or you may have a photographic memory, you can remember it all, but good for you because I can't, I've got notes. Um, so anything that helps you res- remind yourself of this. Listen to the previous two weeks because we're building on them. The certain things that we're building on. So I'm going to read this through and then I'm going to go through every single verse as we go. Are you ready? John 5, verse 1 through 10. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you carry your mat. Okay, what's going on? Uh, let, let's go original. Let's go and look at the text. Look at what was happening then. Let's hear and see how Jesus interacts, what's going on, and let's look and see that there are some clear principles here that the Lord is illuminating. There's some clear words you're going to see which are very, very, very significant for our lives today. Okay, verse 1 through 3. Here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. There are three major feasts where the Jews go to Jerusalem. Pilgrimage feasts. We don't know which one it was. But what we do know is the posture of the people. Let us go. We're going to go to celebrate something the Lord had told us to celebrate. We're going to go and celebrate something the Lord had told us to be remembering that he had done in the past. We are going to go there with a purpose, ideally, of giving thanks to the Lord, seeking the Lord, remembering what he has done. That's not insignificant. The posture of the people and the atmosphere of the people is one of these three special feasts per year that take place. Verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Okay. Sheep gate. Why do we need to know that? Now, this is the truth here. It's only a few decades ago that archaeologists rediscovered this particular pool. They refound it. Anyway, moving that aside, the Sheep Gate. When Nehemiah was instructed to rebuild the city walls, there is recorded about 10 different gates of entry in. And they're given different names for different purposes, for different functions and different roles. One of which is the Sheep Gate. It is said that the purpose of the sheep gate is where the sheep go in. For what? For sacrifice. It's not insignificant what Jesus does in this particular place. Near the sheep gate, the sheep are brought in for sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of people. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One of the names of Jesus is Lamb of God. He's there at this sheep gate. And he goes to this place, this pool called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. We know Jesus is full of mercy and he gives us mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. His forgiveness and his salvation, you don't deserve it, you cannot earn it. Mercy is you do deserve this punishment, this absence from God, you do deserve it. Mercy is not receiving that punishment. 
So in the house of mercy, the Lamb of God near the sheep gate comes and something takes place. At this house of mercy, there's a pool. There's a pool there. And it says in verse 3, here a great number, a great number of disabled people, that's a generic term, used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Hmm. Try and get your head around. This place is where all these people who, because of their physical condition, are not allowed into the major parts of the temple because they're deemed as unclean. And because of these conditions, they carry with it an element of shame in those days that is often related to sin. Why are you this way? Your sin has caused this or your parents' sin has caused this, or there's a generational sin that has caused this. Their identity is bound, and so these people find a place to go and be together, where together they can feel an element of one anothering because they're in the same situation. Humans, birds of a feather flock together. Nature. But they're also there because there's a nature taking place of they're going to go to the house of mercy and they want mercy. And maybe they're carrying around some guilt and shame, maybe necessary but unnecessary, so they're there. And they also believe that this house of mercy, this pool, maybe have healing properties and they're hoping that if they could just get in this pool at the right time, at the right place, at the right day, they could be healed. So why not at least go to the place where it's maybe possible that they could be healed? So verse 3 declares that this is holds there, and then it goes verse 5. What happened to verse 4, Des? Unless you're reading the King James Version, none of your Bibles have got a verse 4. What happened there? Why not just renumber them? Why, why is there no verse 4? Quick aside before we get all geeky, the reality is this, because scholars, we want the authenticity and credibility of the scriptures. Scholars in going through it in times and finding original manuscripts found that this one particular verse in verse four, they were saying, we don't have enough evidence to know that this was in the original something maybe added in. It was to give context to where it's at. So the verse would have said something to the nature of this pool that they will believe. An angel would come and stir the water. And as soon as you stir, saw the water stirring, first one in gets healed. Yeah? First one in gets healed. Which gives context to what we're about to now see. Okay, so they added that in, but some of the original manuscripts didn't have it. And so the scholars in the translations from the original languages into the English went, we're not sure of the absolute credibility that this was in the original text. So we're just going to omit it and it'll be a footnote in your Bible. That to me is like, yes. Just so you know. Some of you are like, move on, Des. Okay, I'll move on. Verse five. Verse five. Here we go. One who was there. There he does it again, John. Miracle number one. Wedding. Water into wine. Who were the name of the bride and the groom? We don't know. Not mentioned. Name of the servants who saw the miracle. No names. Last week, this royal official whose son is dying. No names. How rude. And here we have it again. One who was there. 
Why not just say Bill, who was there? Why, what, what's with it? No name. I'm going to give it. This is my opinion on this. The way John's writing it, he does not want us to say that Jesus did it for Bill, but won't do it for anybody else. Not going to confine it. It's just one. It's just one. One who was there. Sheepgate. The parable of the lost sheep. He will leave the 99 to go and find the one. And say, when you read your Bible, just slow down and just listen. And just go, oh, wow. The one matters to Jesus. You matter. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. I use the word invalid. This is important. For 38 years. Let's just dwell on this whole thing. The average life expectancy then in those days was only in its 40s anyway. He's in the twilight years, whatever. How long has he had this condition for? All of his life? Or most of his life? Either way, he's had a long life at that time of history. Here he is. But it's known. It's there. Like, what's going on? Let me just say this. This is an identity issue now we've got going on. This man is known that his whole life he has had this condition. Or as long as he really can remember. He's had this condition. His identity is this condition. His existence is dependent on other people. Somehow, some way, he gets to Bethesda. Had he been going there every single day for 38 years? We don't know that. This may have been, he may have been going there for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. But he's there. And this is what it is. His whole security, his whole identity is confined to a four-by-two mat. It is his provision because the reality is by going there with a great number of other people who have got these difficulties, they go there and that's an opportunity where other people and followers of God would be generous and compassionate and that's where they could go and get meals. Their provision, for some of them, there was no family or families abandoned them. Their provision, I have to go there to survive. And yeah, I may be stuck on my mat, but I go here and this is where I can find maybe some community or at very least my basic human needs. This is what this guy has been dependent on for 38 years. When we talk about change later on, this is a big deal. This is where he is, his identity. He possibly is carrying around guilt and shame the stigma of the whole thing. And here he is, this one particular day, struggling. It's his identity, but it's who I am. I get what I need right here. I'm dependent on other people. Here we go. And then Jesus mentions this phrase, or John mentioned this phrase. He had been an invalid. Most people read this and think the man's paralyzed. No, he's not. Because the word paralyzed is used for other people in the New Testament. This is not the word that's used here. The word used here is invalid. There are some there with different conditions and the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. But this guy is given the name invalid. 
in the Greek, asthenia. Now, asthenia is used 24 times in the New Testament. Okay? Other words related to different illnesses, but asthenia is the word given here for this invalid, and it combines a bunch of different conditions. It ultimately is related to the word weakness. It's a weakness of the body related to disease or sickness, frailty. It could be a muscle weakness, but the word asthenia is deeply connected to physical weakness, moral weakness, soul weakness. The condition of this man has debilitated him down to this life Some of you today have a weakness, an asthenia, and it is defining your life, it's defining your identity, it's defining your existence, your meaning, your purpose. At the core heart of this, this is deeply rooted, not just in this man's physical condition, but in his mind and soul. You see it. Well, if you just slow down and you see it and you hear it and you go, oh, how interesting. That's when Jesus asked this question, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition For a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Can we just pause here? Could Jesus have walked in? The great number of people, did Jesus need to have a list of the people who were there and what was wrong with them? He's Jesus. He's God. He knows. But we need to know there's a fully human thing, the humanity of Jesus. He goes there and all we know is he may have healed other people for all we know. There's a great number of people. He goes, his presence is there. And what we know is Jesus has taken some time here. John's just collectively gone, boom, this is it. He takes some time because it says Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition a long time. Is it possible that Jesus sat with him and said, hey, dude, What's your story? What's your story? We miss this as people. Someone's displaying symptom is rarely the cause in any sphere. And sometimes all we need to do to hear the voice of God whisper to us and how to help somebody is just take the time to look beyond the symptom and go, hey, just what's your story? What's causing you to be so angry? What's causing, what's your story? Just here's his story. And Jesus learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. But because it's been a long time, and it's all he now knows, and everything in his life functions off that identity, everything, that's why Jesus then says, do you want to get well? Because this is providing all that you need. You 
done quite a few years here. You, longevity of life, not bad. It, you're, you're getting what you need. And this is who you are. So do you, do you want to get well? Because there's a response to that. I think there's a conversation that Jesus is having. Because the reality is, if you want to get well, guess what, dude? As of today, if you want to get well and you get well, get a job. No free lunch at Bethesda every day for you. You could be the one to bring the lunch. You, the, your identity, your, your, your location, your movement, your... Every, do you want to get well? It's no subtle question, is it? But do you want to get well? And then he responds. You'd have gone... What do you think, Jesus? Duh, of course I want to get well. Whoa, 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 whoa. Look how he answers. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Ah, so he's got some mobility. The water stirred. That's because it's a natural spring and it does bubble up, by the way. Just letting you know that. Not some angel thing and superstition. But, and so when it, there's this scramble to first one in. And this condition he's been in for 38 years makes him slow. Somebody else gets in there before me. What's his response to Jesus' question? Do you want to get well? Yeah, but. It's not fair. I'm trying, but other people are just so rude. No one really cares. He takes on a victim mindset. He takes on a, how is that fair? Why do you think I'm here, Jesus? Duh. But, you know, whatever. He, he's there. Maybe there's some anger. Obviously, some disappointment and frustration. So when he asks a question, he reveals the condition of his soul. <laughs> the condition of his soul. Let me just sit here a little bit. Yeah, I do, but he straight away plays the comparison game, the it's not fair game, the blame game. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? In other words, this, the phrase is, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to change into that new identity? And what he does is push the blame of why he's not. So I'll say it again. Do you want to do this? Yeah, but have you seen my husband? Have you seen my wife? Have you seen my friend? Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my physical condition? Have you seen my, have you seen my, how is that not fair? He got a promotion. He didn't get a promotion. He got a promotion. She didn't get a promotion. He got a good job. They pay more. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Shut up. It's the condition of your soul. The comparison game is a trap. And it holds you back. The it's not fair game is a trap. It's the enemy. He puts these snares down. And he's going, oh, this is what we need to do. Moving on, Des, quick, hurry up. Do you want to be made whole? Now, with this question comes a very dynamic moment 
Do you really want to change or stay as you are or deeper, change or die? I said at the top of the message, most of you don't want to change. I wasn't getting personal. There's evidence for it everywhere. John Hopkins University School of Medicine did a big study. I mentioned this a few years ago, actually. And they did a big study, and the study was this. In the United States of America, between 1.5 and 2 million people have heart surgery because of clogged arteries. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay? Clogged arteries. There's a reason for the clogged arteries, and there are some exceptions to the rule, but for the majority, it's a lifestyle that has caused that. Don't go at me with biology. I'm just going now, okay? Here we go. There's a reality. There's a reason why. Clogged arteries defined, we can fix this with a surgery, however, and they clearly say it, you are going to need to change your life. Otherwise, they will reclog. And if you don't change, your eating, your drinking, your movement, your exercise, your heart, if you don't change, you are going to be back here and you are probably going to die. Change or die. If I was a doctor saying to me, Des, here's the deal, we're going to do this, so are you prepared to change your life holistically or die? You would think everybody would go, thank you for the gift of this life-saving surgery. I will change. John Hopkins University School of Medicine did the report, ran the study over two years. And two years later, of these people who'd had this life-changing surgery, two years later, 90% did not change. I'm, I'm, I was reading, I'm going, no. Surely like 10% didn't change. No, 90% of the people still did not change their eating, drinking, movement, lifestyle patterns. Did not change it. After receiving the gift of life-saving surgery. What is that? Nine out of ten still don't change. Because what they were, they just didn't want to let it go. But I like this. I'll be okay. It's all good. You know, they, they, there's something there. There's addictive patterns or whatever it may be, but it's, and I can I just say to you, it's hard. It is hard saying yes to something greater and no to something okay. It is hard. This isn't good and bad. Bad's an easy decision. But it's like, it's okay to better. I'll just stick here. And this relates to every walk of life. The human condition is, just seems to, I don't know if I want to give this up. I don't know if I want to walk away from this lifestyle. I don't know if I want to walk away from these people. I don't know if I want to take this risk and trust Jesus with this because what if, and, and all of that takes place. This is a soul spiritual war you are in. It's why it's so deep. And I was mind blown by the 90%. It was like, that can't be true. 
And it is. It is. So. And some of you are like, I've tried to change it. I can't because you can't do it on your own. You, you, it's not. It's on your own. The outliers can do it on their own. For most of us, we can't do it on our own. But you were never meant to do life on your own. The need for you to get connected out in the lobby today is significant, hugely significant. Men, into the storm, we meet a week from Tuesday. We're going to meet every single Tuesday at 6 a.m. And we're going to go for it this semester. This is not going to be some nice little neat little boys club. This is going to be some storms that we need to charge into. And it matters. You can't do it on your own. I, I, I'm just telling you right now, if I didn't have a wife like I have, I would be 400 pounds right now. And that's not an exaggeration. You can ask her. I can't do it on my own. Can't. There's some things I can be focused and I can be disciplined and I can be determined, but I need somebody to go, this is what it's going to take and this is how you're going to do it. Man up. And I go, okay. And here we go. You can't do it on your own. But do you really want to change? Because if you really wanted to change, you'd find someone to help. But the helper can't do it. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. So why does Jesus do it, first of all? Number one, compassion, love, grace, mercy. He still does that, still is doing that. He is also revealing his glory and his power. In the place near the sheep gate in the house of mercy, he is revealing who he is. And a great number of other people saw it. But not everyone was healed. So he does this, it's dynamic. At once a man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. John records, he picks up his mat and walks. He does it. He's repeating something. Here's why. Because Jesus is revealing something else about who he is that this man steps into. Verse 10. And so the Jews, sorry, so sentence before. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The dudes just got healed. And all they're bothered about is a man-made religious law. They have missed the miracle worker. They've missed God himself because what they saw didn't fit in their confines of how they believe somebody should be living. Didn't fit within it. Well, Jesus is a rule breaker. He is a rule breaker. Jesus breaks rules all over the place in the Gospels. He breaks rules all over the place in the early church. Whose rules is he breaking? It's not breaking God's rules. He's breaking man's rules that they've attached to God's rules. 
Man has attached, this is how you have to be. This is how you have to live. We've attached it. We've put culture in there. We've added things to it. And Jesus comes and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's like, look, this is, be careful. It's all clear. And here's this Sabbath rule. 613 pharisaical additional laws added to God's original law. 39 of them relate to the Sabbath. God gives this gift of a day of rest. By the way, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. No need to fully observe the original Sabbath law because Jesus has fulfilled it because he is rest. We find our rest in him. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's not even in my notes. Move on, Des. So with that in mind, here we have it. 39 additional laws of how we think, these Pharisaical, this is how we think you should observe the Sabbath. None of them are in the Bible. This is very such one rule. You are not permitted to carry your mat on the Sabbath. He's healed and all people can do is point fingers. Jesus is a rule breaker. He's coming and he's saying, look, I will not allow my people to be bound by man-made laws. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord is kept safe. He's revealing it and revealing it. He's a rule breaker. I want to step out and take a couple of risks here. But not really. And here we go. Some of us as followers of Jesus have allowed a bunch of man-made additional laws to be applied to the scriptures because we believe this is how you live them. We've, we've been lazy and it also helps us control people. And we've allowed it and some of it seeped in and we believe it's a thus saith the Lord and it's not. It's a cultural thing. It's something we've added in. It may have intentionally originally had a good reason but, but no more. But we've bound it in. We've bound it in. So I'll just give some examples right now in our world today. We have people saying, well, I'll put it this way. I have seen people's lives changed and God's miracle performing power take place in their life. But there are people going, God doesn't do it that way anymore. But look, he just did. Mm, I'm not sure about that. What? There are joy thieves everywhere. They are stealing joy because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, said Jesus, you may have life in all its fullness. When we see the power of God move in someone's life in a situation, and all some people can do is go, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Don't like the way they're dressed. Don't like the songs they sing. I don't think that's worship. Who do you think you are? defining what worship is and is not. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's not a how-to. And so I'm just giving you all a layup to go, just be careful here in restricting what the Lord can do and put in there. I've seen people give their life to Jesus, fully understand the gospel, hear the gospel, repent, confess, have their life transformed into fullness and their identity changed and it's all awesome and just because it was a woman who preached it, you didn't like it. 
If anybody that may have just pressed a couple of buttons, please, 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 please come meet with me. Let's talk. Let's talk. Come meet with me. Let's really talk about the scriptures and about Jesus and his kingdom and all that he is doing and all that he desires to do. And if you are prepared to come with open hands and confess, and I still have them today, I've got a few pharisaical robes that I need to disrobe off. I've attached them to Christianity. There is a lost world out there, desperately searching for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And there are people going around, huh, why is he carrying his mat on the Sabbath? And they are missing the healer and Jesus for the sake of their man additional rules. Not in my notes, but it's gone now. It means a lot to me though, church. I've seen too many people have the joy of the Lord stolen from them because some people think that's not how God does it. I don't know about you, my God can do whatever he wants because he's God. As long as it's not outside the scriptures, you're saying, okay, I know, I agree. Let's look at the scriptures. Moving on. No idea where I am right now. <laughs> Let's land it. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to change? Really? Do you want things to change in your life? Or do you just want everybody else around you to change? Are you not intentionally getting a little lazy by saying, Jesus, just do it. Jesus, just do it. Jesus, just do it. It's all done now. <sighs> if any man should come after me, he should deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Words of Jesus. Come follow me. Hello? Come follow me, he said. And I'll make you fishers of men. Learn my words, live my ways, love like me. There's a call towards that life. Are you ready to truly walk by faith and trust Jesus? Whatever it takes, a relentless pursuit, however long it takes, he said it, I believe him, I'm going that way. This man's condition was deeply connected to his soul. Whether it was soul first or soul after, it connects, doesn't it? It affects that. I need Jesus to come and heal my soul. I need him to come and do what he did on the cross. I need him to cleanse me. I need him to come and dwell in me. His love to abide in me. 
Can he? I'm going to dive straight in with this because what we're going to do today is have a little bit more of an extended time of worship at the end. Because I believe this is a heart and soul issue. Whilst at the same time, some of you need to see a breakthrough in maybe something that is a physical, relational condition of change required, of becoming whole and getting well. And that is this. You need to trust Jesus. Again. Renewed. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to have a posture of everything and everyone in my life belongs to Jesus. I give everything and everyone and follow him. Because he really is good. He is mercy. He is grace. He is hope. He is forgiveness. So I'm going to invite all prayer partners, elders, staff, come down front, be available right now. Get out your seats, come out now. Be available for our, our people. Right now. Okay, good. Whew, I was like, a lot of people to pray for. Um, so come out, be available. These people are here for you and your posture is, I want to get well. Physically, relationally, emotionally, whatever is going on, I want to get well. I need the wholeness of Jesus to come dwell. Come and receive prayer for that. We're going to have a time of worship together. And in that time of worship together, I want to invite you, you can stay seated. And to just go before the Lord and go, Lord, I, I hear you calling me. Do I want to get well? I, I just need to, maybe you need to wrestle with that. I, I want to do that. You can sit during this worship time. You can stand. You can stand, then sit. Sit, then stand. You can find a space and kneel down in a surrendered posture. You can do palms up, palms raised. This is not a good one. I think body language matters. But that's, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's pray together. The team will come out, lead us in this time. And then after this prayer, you can respond however you want. And I'll see you tomorrow night because there's more tomorrow night. King Jesus. I give everything and everyone to you. Oh, that your love overwhelms me and consumes me. I ask for an outpouring of your grace and your mercy in my life. Jesus, I confess to trying to fix it my way, not trusting in you. I choose today to trust you. I give my life to you. Lead me in your ways. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever posture you want to do, don't rush. Sit here, team of leaders, come out for prayer. And I'll see you all tomorrow night. We start at seven.